This is the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet, Episode 29. Pat Sweet here, and welcome to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast, the show dedicated to helping engineers thrive. Today, I share the five most common problems with engineering metrics and how to fix them. Hello, everybody. This is Pat Sweet. Welcome, of course, to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast. Super excited to be here with you again today. Uh, This is the first solo show that I've had in a little while, and I'm very excited about this. I was supposed to have the the most excellent Jake Voorhees here on the show, but due to a bit of a family emergency, he was not able to make it. That's okay. I'll be rescheduling with Jake, so you will absolutely get to hear from him in the coming weeks. But in the meantime, you get a solo episode with me. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Really excited about that. I've had this topic, this idea of metrics kind of waiting in the wings for quite a while. So I'm really excited to be sharing this with you today. And before we get into metrics, and I know you're all numbers people, you're all quants, and this is very exciting, but there is one thing I wanted to share before I get into it. I made a bit of an update to my website, and there are two things I wanted to share with you. One, first and foremost, this is what's most important, is the resource page. So for those of you who've not been to the website before, engineeringandleadership.com slash resources has a list of free material, uh, stuff that I've collected over several years of working uh, on the engineering and leadership uh, blog and podcast. So there are quite a number of things. Uh, all of the free ebooks that I've ever written are posted there. So those are all available for download. And then below that, there are a number of, of tools and blogs and podcasts and other, other stuff that I really, really like and, and recommend often during the show. So that's all very highly recommended stuff. Do encourage you to go over and check that out. Again, engineeringandleadership.com slash resources. The other thing that I've been busy on over this weekend is a bit of a redesign to the homepage. And I would love to know what you think. I'd love your feedback. Uh, I'd love to know what works, what doesn't, because ultimately, this is all for you. It's not for me. I think it looks good, um, (laughs) but I'm an engineer. What do I know? So do let me know. Again, engineeringleadership.com. I'd be absolutely thrilled to get your comments, your thoughts. All right, folks, let's talk metrics. For anyone who has led a project or an engineering team before, you know how important it is to manage performance, whether it's widgets per hour, the percentage of work complete, or the number of requirements derived, knowing your project by the numbers is absolutely critical to understanding how things are going. Luckily enough, we as engineers love our numbers. We are more than comfortable making sense of charts and graphs and thinking about the world around us in quantitative terms. And that is why it's so perplexing to me that technical projects have such trouble with their metrics. Regardless of what project I've worked on or or what industry I've been in, there's always this universal appetite for metrics. Unfortunately, that appetite is often matched with a propensity to misuse and abuse those same metrics. So today, I'm going to share five common issues that I see in my own professional practice and how to address them so that you can improve the use of metrics on your projects. Problem number one is managing the metrics instead of the work. This is by far the most common issue that I see is is on a project, 
a metric looks bad, and then the discussion becomes about, okay, what do we do to fix this number? And this drives me nuts, because when you try to fix a number, you're, you may or may not actually be fixing the underlying technical issue or programmatic issue that exists. It's a little bit like cramming for a test. You might get the score you want in the end, but if at the 11th hour, this is the first time you're reviewing material and just trying to memorize whatever you can without actually understanding it, you're probably not really going to learn the material. So yes, you get the right metric without the right outcome. When a metric looks bad, the question needs to be, what's going on with what's being measured? as opposed to, what do we have to do to make this number improve? If you address the underlying issue, the number, if well-designed, should improve on its own. You don't have to worry about making the number look good. You have to worry about making the thing being measured actually be good. The other thing that we have to be careful of here is there might not actually be anything wrong with the underlying thing. Maybe the metric itself is what's bad. And then working to fix the number it leads to a bunch of time spent on something that's not actually adding value. So again, you always need to look at the underlying thing being measured. The other problem here is that if there are ways of gaming the metric to make something look good, let's think of examples in the news of, of uh, financial statements, for example, for a company looking really good without the financial health of the company actually being good. You can get into situations like this where the metrics are either currently painting a rosy picture or made to look like the picture is rosy when everything underneath is bad, okay? We don't want that on our, on our programs. So issue number one is managing the metrics as opposed to the work. Always, always, always look for ways to measure the actual work, the actual product, whatever it is that lies beneath. Issue number two is confusing status, target, projection, and plan. So one of the problems that I run into a lot in, in my own practice with engineers who, who put metrics together or present metrics is confusion between what is being presented or what's being measured. So there are four things that uh, generally you're really interested in when working on a technical project. There's status, which is where you are. That's the, the current state of things. There's target, which is where you hope to be. So for example, let's say you're designing a widget and you want the widget to weigh no more than 100 kilograms. Your status today might be 110 kilograms. Your target would be um, maybe 90, right? Which would satisfy the requirement. Then there's projection, which is uh, your guess as to where things are going to go based on where things are today and what work is yet to come. So for example, in this in this widget weight example, maybe your status is 110, your target is 90, but your projection is actually that you'll end up at 98 kilograms, meaning you won't meet your target, but you will meet the requirement, but without much margin, right? So these are three different numbers that reflect a, a, a view of the reality of your situation, but are all very different. And it's important to understand what it is you're talking about, whether it's status, target, or projection. And then the final thing is plan, which is which is your path from where you are today to where you're going or where you're trying to go. So generally, a plan line in a chart, for example, would start at your status and end somehow at your target. And, and that plan needs to reflect reality, right? It needs to reflect the actual 
tools you have on hand, resources you have on hand, people, money, time, all the rest, plans need to actually make sense, right? It can't just be a straight line from where you are to where you want to be. Fingers crossed, hope everything works out. So let's say, for example, you're building a home. Your target might be to have the home 100% done 10 months from now. Your plan might be to complete 10% of that project each month. Now, let's fast forward to month five. Let's say your actual percentage complete is 25%, though you were hoping to be at 50%. This would put you way behind what your plan said you should be at. Based on this, your projection, if you assume the same level of effort and all the rest, might be that you would actually be 50% done by month 10, as opposed to 100% complete, which was the original target. So understanding these four elements and how they're related to one another is super, super important for metrics. Um, It's important to make it very clear what you're presenting, and it's important to make it very clear how these four things relate. In my experience, presenting one without the other three often leads to questions about the other three. If you present status, It needs to be put up against, okay, but where are you trying to go? Where do you expect to go? How do you expect to get there? That's the complete story. So whenever you have a metric, it's important to complement that metric with these other views. Without it, you're only telling a part of the story. And and when push comes to shove, someone is going to ask about the rest of that story. And frankly, even if no one does ask, it's important for you to understand where things are going based on where you are and where you're trying to go. So that's issue number two, confusing or missing status, target, projection, and plan. Issue number three is forgetting to set up guardrails. And what I mean by that is setting metrics is fine and well. It's important to have metrics. It's important to present metrics. But how can you tell when you need to do something about a metric that's off course? So in other words, how off course is really off course? For example, let's imagine a family trip. Would you cancel a trip if you were 15 minutes late leaving for your flight? No, you, you absolutely would not. You'd, you'd floor it on the highway. You'd try to make up time and try to avoid traffic jams and all the rest. Um, you, you, you would not cancel it just because you were off plan by 15 minutes. Now, let's take another example. How about you wake up one morning realizing that your tickets were for a flight that took off yesterday? Now, that's a very different situation. It's probably a lost cause. If you're only going away for a couple days, you've already lost a day. Now there's all these cancellation and rebooking fees. It's just, it's a disaster. You might as well just say, okay, you know what? To heck with it. We'll try again some other time. So this difference between 15 minutes late and a day late is significant. And it's important to understand those same kinds of parameters for your project and the metrics that you're tracking. In a project, it's much harder to tell where that line is. It's harder to tell when things are so bad that you need to intervene somehow, especially when you're in the thick of it. It's always best to make that call, those guardrails, when you set up the metric. If if you're measuring something, you need to decide ahead of time when something needs to be done. So there's your, your plan. It's where you expect to be at a certain point in time. And then If you deviate from that plan by a percentage of X, for example, you must do something. Now, what that thing is depends on the specifics of your project and what's being measured. Um, You know, for a, a typical project, maybe if you realize that you are X percentage behind schedule, 
that you go and you hire some some temporary help, right, to bolster the team to try to get yourself back on track, right? That's an intervention that you could implement. And you can plan ahead for that kind of thing. You could know which staffing agencies you might want to work with if this situation happens. So that helps too, is to be able to, to think through the mitigation if things go X percentage off track. If you don't set those guardrails, it's hard to recognize when you're in too deep. It's hard to recognize that you should have intervened a month ago. It's incredibly important for, for you as an engineer or as a project leader to understand where those, where those guardrails are, to set them and keep a very close eye on them. Issue number four is having too many metrics. Too many metrics. And I see this all the time. There are numbers left, right, and center. It's very difficult to keep them synced up. It's very difficult to understand how they line up with one another and how to understand them in aggregate. Having too many metrics is as dangerous as having too few because it, it really it gives you the sense that you know what's going on, but at the same time, obfuscating the truth, hiding what is really going on. Like I said, when you have too many metrics, when you've got too many numbers floating around, it can be really difficult to reconcile them all and, and make sense of, well, okay, this number says things are going well, this number th- says things are maybe not going so well. Then you spend all this time trying to, to synthesize all this and not as much time working on the actual project work and trying to, and trying to keep things on track. In my experience, it's far better to have fewer but more robust more understood metrics than it is to have a metric for every last thing. And here's the thing, in our work, a lot of our work in the design world and the project world is very easy to measure. Designs are, are inherently measurable. You're going to produce a thing or an outcome. You can, you can really, uh, it's, it's palpable. You can see it, you can touch it, you can feel it. So it's easy to measure. Um, so there is that temptation of, of wanting to measure every last little thing. But like I said, it, it's much better to, to dial it back and look at those things that are critical, right? Those things that if they're off track, it kills the project or kills the design. And if you can focus your time and attention on the critical few, you can really eliminate a lot of the churn associated with collecting, analyzing, distributing, presenting, defending metrics, which takes up a lot of time, particularly on a large program, and really focus your time and attention on on understanding those critical few and doing something about it if things go off course. It's important to, to bear in mind, no one person can know every last detail on a huge project. So let it go. You can't know everything. So make sure you know really deep down in your bones, what's going on with what's actually important. Focus is incredibly powerful and having too many metrics distracts, right? So really do hone in on on the critical few. Last but not least, we've got issue number five, which is skipping the analysis and recommendations of metrics. Metrics shouldn't stand on their own, right? Even something as simple as a gas gauge can't stand on its own. You might be hovering near empty in your car, but if you're only going to the corner store to pick up a loaf of bread and a jug of milk, that's okay, right? That context is super important because without that context, you might say, oh, I need gas. Oh, maybe you don't. It depends on the situation. 
Numbers in the context of engineering need to be interpreted by experts who understand where they come from and what they mean. Numbers on their own can be interpreted any number of ways, especially in combination with other numbers, right? Which is what we talked about in point number four, this aggregate of multiple metrics. When you deal with especially complex projects, complex systems, complex designs, you need to be very careful about understanding the numbers. And frankly, that takes subject matter expertise. That takes an engineer, or it takes a project manager, or it takes someone who really understands where these numbers come from to interpret and present them. This is why I believe engineering metrics need a discussion and analysis section tied to them. Again, I'm going to invoke this example of a company's financial statements. For a company that's publicly traded, their financial statements, their annual statements, always come with a management discussion and analysis section, which is a kind of a a free text section that allows the management of the company to help the reader understand and interpret where the numbers come from. Yes, the numbers on their own do tell a story, but it's important to understand the context for those numbers and how they come together from the mouths of people who actually get it. Because there are any number of stories you can tell with the facts that are presented to you. And that's true in numbers. That's true in in real-life interactions with other people. It's really important to understand that your story, the story that you tell yourself based on the facts you see, is almost always a one interpretation of many that are possible. So one of the things that I encourage my staff to do when presenting metrics is always pair them with actual text or or some sort of voiceover, some sort of analysis and discussion of what it means. And all too often, that part is missing, meaning metrics end up in a slide deck or a spreadsheet somewhere And people are left to their own devices to make sense of what they mean, where they're coming from, and what they should do about them. Now, the other other way to think about this is that often engineers present metrics thinking that they're self-explanatory. They're not. And this this is where someone can get themselves into a lot of trouble, is thinking it's quite clear what actions should be taken based on metrics that are presented. Metrics are almost never self-explanatory. The very best ones come close to it. But again, I've been invoking this idea of complex programs. The world we work in is characterized by complexity and change and volatility. Almost nothing we work on is straightforward. Otherwise, they wouldn't be hiring engineers to do it, right? That's, That's the whole point. So it's incredibly important to have that discussion and analysis paired with metrics. And I would encourage anyone who is listening to this, who who makes metrics or reads metrics to insist on having that discussion and analysis. Every engineering project needs metrics. You simply can't run a successful program if you can't see how things are going. It's a little bit like driving a car to the beach with your eyes closed. You could have a plan, you could have done it a thousand times and know exactly how to get there, but you still need that feedback, that visual feedback of your eyes being open to deal with the unexpected and outside influences. Otherwise, your day to the beach is going to be ruined, guaranteed. So if you can address the five issues that I shared here today, you will be well on your way to better projects and better designs. Next up, we've got the engineering and leadership mailbag. (music) 
Well, my friends, you know how this works. This is the part of the show where I read your messages and answer your questions. I promise to read absolutely everything you send me, and I promise to share my favorites here on the podcast. This last week, I asked uh, my friends on Twitter which leader in tech they most respected right now, and I got an awesome answer from Majid Shaker, who suggested Dan Price, who's the CEO of Gravity Payments, who made headlines some time ago when he cut his own salary uh, to the tune of a million bucks to make sure that his company's minimum wage was $70,000 a year, which for a lot of folks was absolutely life-changing. This essentially eliminates uh, financial issues for the vast majority of people in, in his company, regardless of what they do. And this is from the, the, the custodial staff to administration to anyone, right? If you work at Gravity Payments, you make at least 70000 US a year. Uh, so it's a very cool story. And Majid, I really appreciate uh, you sharing that. I, I'd read about Dan Price's uh, story a number of years ago. So I, I appreciate you reminding me of that. That's great. If anyone else uh, would like to share, do join me on Twitter at Angelita. I would love to know who you profoundly respect as a leader in tech right now. It'd be great to hear from you. And the other note that I wanted to share today was from at WeDayCode, uh, who recommended the Engineering Leadership Podcast uh, to someone who was looking for good tech podcasts. So I really appreciate that. That's great. I'll absolutely be linking to your uh, your Twitter handle on the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 29. And as always, if there's anything you would like to share with me, whether it's a comment or question, anything about the show, I would love to hear you. Just leave a comment at the bottom of the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 29. That, my friends, is all the time we have for the show today. I will be back next week with our next episode, where we'll hear from leadership expert Dr. Ben Ritter on self-leadership and how it can transform your work and your career. If you enjoyed the show, it would be fantastic if you could leave a review on whatever podcast service or device you're using. I'd love to know what you thought was most interesting about the show today. If you do leave a review, I will absolutely feature it in the mailbag section. And it does help me make the show better and helps others find it as well. So I really do appreciate that. For more information, links, and resources mentioned today, just go to the show notes, engineeringandleadership.com slash episode 29. And again, quick reminder, don't forget to check the revamped resources page at engineeringandleadership.com slash resources. Until next time, this is Pat Sweet reminding you that if you're going to be anything, be excellent. You've been listening to the Engineering and Leadership Podcast with Pat Sweet. If you'd like to learn more, go to engineeringandleadership.com where you'll find more free articles, podcasts, and downloads to help engineers thrive. That's engineeringandleadership.com.